this is Matt, and welcome to episode 20 of the Studio Rats podcast for February 21st, 2012. Hope you all are doing well. Yes, once again, I am winding through the backcountry roads of Loomis, California, so please bear with the background noise. Hope you all had a great weekend here in the United States. It was a long holiday weekend. Took the family to the zoo and worked on a chicken coop and did uh, very little music-related things, but that's okay. Sometimes you need to get out of the studio and uh, enjoy some fresh air. So today's topic is critical listening, and this is inspired by an email that I got from Sweetwater, their tech tips email list that they send out occasionally, I think a couple times a week. Sometimes they have some interesting articles in there and some interesting tips. So this one caught my eye in particular. thought it would kind of dovetail nicely into the mix critique that I am still planning on doing in the next week or so, time permitting. So most of these tips are going to come from Sweetwater's email, although I am going to editorialize a few of them and add, a, add some additional detail to kind of flesh out the article. So the idea about critical listening is, you know, developing your ear so that you can discern and kind of decipher mixes and just, you know, figure out what's going wrong, maybe what needs to be improved, you know, just a really good way to improve your own mixes. So Sweetwater started off by recommending that you pick five songs, each song from a different decade by the same artist, you know, as a way to kind of compare how tastes and production values have changed over the decades. Now, you know, I don't know how many artists have been around for five decades. Uh, The ones that come immediately to mind, you know, that have been around a long period of time that I personally listen to, I'm thinking U2, Sting, Rolling Stones, Aerosmith, I suppose Elton John, which I don't listen to him, but hey, that might be your thing. Um, so there are a few artists out there, but you know, I think generally you could take any genre of you know, rock music, um, what would be considered rock, and that would be a good way to compare to. Obviously, if it's the same artist, you kind of eliminate perhaps a few variables. Obviously, the singer's voice isn't going to change that much, and probably their general approach to songwriting and instrumentation may be similar. So the first thing that Sweetwater suggests is that you, you know you listen to the songs and listen for to see how compressed the songs are if if they're dynamic if you know the cor- the verses are quieter than the choruses or if it's completely slammed you know I think when you compare songs from say like the 80s to songs that were released in this decade you'll see that wow the 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 new songs are so much louder than the older songs and, uh, you know, just with a lot less dynamic range. And a lot of times this will be really apparent on the introductions of the song where maybe you'll have, you know, an, uh, a vo- the vocals and, you know, maybe a couple of instruments and then everything kicks in for the big chorus and it's, wow, it sounds quieter. <laughs> and that's because, you know, sparse arrangements tend to sound louder than dense ones. So when the, 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 dense, the dense arrangement part kicks in with the heavy limiting, there's nowhere for it to go, and it just kind of falls flat on its face. So, you know, that's, that's kind of an interesting thing to listen to. Um, next, they suggest, you know, paying attention to the stereo field. See how instruments are panned. Um, 
you know, back, uh, I think in the 60s and 70s, it was probably the most popular, um, but a lot of engineers would use, maybe even the 50s too, I'm not too sure, but there is a technique called LCR mixing, where basically instruments were panned either to the right, the center, or the left. There was no in-between, so you wouldn't pan something, say, at, uh, you know, 3 o'clock. Everything was either hard right or hard left. So pay attention to that. See how things are panned. You know, uh, see how whoever mixed the song maybe offset the hi-hat. Was there a a tambourine pan the opposite direction? Was there a really bright guitar part? Um, you know, things like that. Just really get in there and, and listen to see how the various instruments are placed. And can you discern where each instrument is? Or is the mix more kind of undefined and maybe muddy and buried in reverb and it's hard to pick out where each instrument is in the stereo field? Obviously, you want to listen to the general tonal balance of the song. You know, is it uh, a darker production? Is it really bright and sibilant? Are the cymbals really sharp? Um, Things like that. Um, Also, listen to where the vocals sit in the mix. Are the vocals, you know, behind the snare drum, in front of the snare drum? You know, on a lot of indie or or alternative rock, the vocals were really buried. If it's a, a pop song, the vocals are really present and up front. So pay attention to that. Obviously, drum sounds, that can be a, a, a really good clue to, to determine which decade a song was recorded in. And obviously, the 80s, uh, gated reverb and reverb in general was very popular, so a lot of the drum sounds from the 80s sound dated by today's comparison. You know, listen to how the drums were mic'd. Does it sound like the drums are very present, like they were close mic'd, or is there a lot of room sound kind of giving that big, you know, John Bonham type drum sound where things sound really big and roomy. Another thing that I really like to listen to is the kick drum and bass guitar interplay, how they play off of each other and complement each other. A lot of times the the kick drum won't have a lot of low end because maybe the bass guitar is carrying the low end on that track. You know, kind of if you have a real thick, bassy, maybe like a reggae uh, type uh, bass guitar tone. Or is the bass guitar really thin or maybe playing up in higher registers and the kick drum is, is really beefy and has a lot of low end? I'd listen to the guitars to see how they're, the, the guitar tracks are put together. Or is the guitar track double tracked? If, if so, is it double tracked exactly the same? Or is the tone a little different? Is it the same part but played in a different register? You know, maybe at first listening it sounds like it's the same guitar part, but maybe there's a slight variation on how the player played the part. Similarly with keyboards, you know, is the keyboard and the guitar, are they playing off of each other? Is, is the, the keyboard part just kind of playing a pad, or is it taking more of a melodic or lead role? Obviously, we kind of touched on it a little bit, the use of effects. You know, how um, is reverb used? How is delay used? to either give a sense of space or set instruments off of each other. Sometimes the reverb, like on a, maybe on a mono guitar track, they might have just a mono reverb on the guitar track that occupies the same stereo space as the guitar, or maybe the reverb or delay is panned to the opposite direction to help balance out the stereo field. You know, these are all things to listen for and then maybe you know, gain some ideas for your own productions. 
And obviously, just listen to the track overall and, and go, hey, you know, does this sound dated or does this track sound timeless? A lot of the really popular songs, you know, that, that hold the test of time don't have any obvious clues as to which decade they were recorded in. You know, I mentioned kind of the gated reverb and overuse of reverb in general during the 80s. You know, a lot of those songs, they come on the radio and you're like, yep, that's from the 80s, even if you're not familiar with it. Whereas some songs are timeless and, and they're just recorded well. You know, the, the instruments sound great. There's no over-the-top use of, you know, the effect of the day. You know, like auto-tune comes to mind. All those songs that have heavy use of auto-tune you know, that's definitely going to place them in the, in the 2000s, you know, when people are listening back in the 20s or whatever. <laughs> they're they're going to go, yep, that was the decade of auto-tune. And another thing, you know, to listen for when, when, when you're listening to these songs is kind of the general arrangement, how they're put together, uh, what instruments serve what roles, how the song builds excitement and interest, you know, um, is each verse a little bit different, a little more complex? Are they the same? You know, how is that final chorus different than the first chorus to set it apart? You know, these are all great things to listen for. And I, th I think one of the great things about um, critical listening like this is it just really gives you some, some ideas of what you can do in your own productions. And also, I think it's a great way to further... Um, enjoy your favorite songs. You know, as you listen more closely, you may be able to hear additional parts that, that you weren't aware that they were there before. I remember spending hours and hours listening to uh, police records, you know, trying to figure out exactly how they were getting the sounds that they were doing. And you might discover on one of your favorite records that what, what you thought was a really cool guitar tone, is maybe it's actually a guitar with being doubled by a keyboard. You know, there's, there's all these little production techniques and tricks out there to thicken up sounds. And, and I just think it's a great way to um, enhance your own repertoire. So you've done your critical listening now, but how do you know what sounds good? I remember the first time that I listened to a really high-resolution audio file system, I was blown away. Um, my boss at the time had a pair of Wilson Grand Slam speakers, which at the time they were about $60,000 speakers. I mean, these are huge speakers. They're like six feet high, really mammoth speakers. And uh, he invited me over and said, hey, you know, bring a couple of your favorite records and let's see what they sound like. So. I brought over The Police's Synchronicity. I think I've made it no, no secret that that's one of my favorite bands. And I thought at the time, I'm like, you know, this is such a great sounding album. It's really popular. I, I think it even won a Grammy for uh, Best Rock Album. But obviously it was a very, very huge album for The Police. And I thought, you know, this is kind of the pinnacle of, of what they were capable of doing you know, a lot of the arrangements were kind of sparse, and I thought that would just really sound cool on a big, big um, stereo speakers, would be expansive stereo field. And I remember he put it on, and I was so disappointed. It sounded so small. The stereo field was so narrow. There was no bass. I, mean, I was blown away. And then he put on, I forget the name of the artist. I wish I could remember but it was a French artist, and I believe it was a live concert. He put that on immediately after, and it was like, oh my gosh, this is what things are supposed to sound like. The bass was huge and deep. The stereo field was wide, you know, expanding beyond the outside of the speakers. I mean, it was night and day difference. 
so basically what, you know, I mentioned that story just to illustrate the point that, you know, just because Rolling Stone says it's a great album or it's in the Billboard Top 100 doesn't, doesn't mean that it's a great sounding album. So if you're get, just getting started, you know, I would look for other recording engineers and albums that they consider to be great. Bob Katz, has, who's a very famous mastering engineer, very well respected in the, in the community, on his website he has a list of what he calls the honor roll, which are albums that, that he can t- considers and many others consider to be excellent sounding. And I think that's a great way that if you're just getting started and, and need a couple uh, points of reference for albums that sound really great, I would definitely recommend checking out his list. I'll put a link in the show notes. I mean, chances are, just looking over the list, you probably own a couple of the albums already. On that list are albums like Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon, Peter Gabriel's Security, Stevie Wonder, Intervision, ACDC, Back in Black, Rage Against the Machine, Sting, Brand New Day, Paul Simon, You're the One, Tony Levin's Pieces of the Sun. I mean, really, there's there's something on there for everyone. So I would... You know, look through your own um, CD catalog, see if you have any of those titles. There's probably 20 or 30 altogether. I just mentioned a handful that kind of jumped out at me. Um, but, you know, listen to those and, and you know, buy, buy all of them and, and compare them. It's just a great way to familiarize yourself with some great sounding recordings and also, you know, become familiar with your own system. I mean, obviously, if you listen to all these albums that are on his list... And you go, wow, these all sound terrible. It's probably an indication that there's a problem with your listening environment, maybe with your monitors. Definitely something you would want to consider looking into. But, you know, it's a, it's a great way to familiarize yourself with the response of your system. You know, even if it's not set up in an ideal way, by listening to great sounding albums, you'll be able to kind of imprint that tonality and, and know what to expect from your speakers when you're working on your own mixes. So that's a great way to improve it. So hopefully that'll give you guys some ideas on how to develop your own critical listening. And I don't think that this is something that, you know, you spend um, a month doing and then you go, oh, all right, I am a great critical listener now. You know, this is something that's an ongoing process. You know, even today, um, I'll sit down and, and listen to, you know, new albums as they come out and go, wow, you know, that was a cool production or man, that was really over-compressed, or, hmm, that was a little bright. You know, just really, you know, listen and uh, learn from what other engineers are doing. You know, it's a great way to to hone your own craft. So that's going to wrap up this edition of the podcast. If you have any comments or questions, drop me a line at matt at finleysound.com or stop by the website, thestudioratspodcast.com and leave a comment in the comment section. Would love to hear from you guys. Until next time, go out there and record something.